Welcome everyone to the podcast Unanswered Questions with Pastor Tim Cole. This is a podcast where we talk about tough theological and Christian living questions sent in by people just like you. Our hope is that listening will strengthen your confidence in God's Word, helping you to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. If you have any questions, please send them to questionsforpastortim at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us today for another episode of Unanswered Questions with Pastor Tim Cole. Today we're discussing, what does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? So what a question to uh, begin this uh, episode, this particular episode of a podcast. It's a rather spicy one in a lot of people's eyes. Um, So I have my hot sauce bottle ready here to pour on everything I share today, but it's a question that uh, most parents want to learn about because they're concerned about their children's language. They're concerned about what uh, those kids in the playground and classroom and on and on Snapchat are saying one one to another. And so there's a concern that the language of their children, as well as their own language, is never uh, identified as taking the Lord's name in vain. I've heard it uh, most of my life. Perhaps you have too. And it's a confusing question um, because the text that we are referring to, of course, is one of the commandments in Exodus chapter 20. You shall not, in the future tense, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And for years, in fact, uh, from person to person, from school to school, from book to book, we've all in some way associated it with our language. Uh, In other words, if we are guilty of obscenity or gross language or vulgar wit, that somehow that is taking the Lord's name in vain. Uh, Another uh, phrase that's associated with taking the Lord's name is vain is saying God and then asking God to damn something. And we assume that that is the height of taking the Lord's name in vain. I mean, if you want to have an example of taking the Lord's name in vain, it would be God damn this or God damn that. But of course, this is not true. Uh, For example, when I go to Paul's epistle to the Ephesians in chapter 5, and he talks about language, he says, uh, nor should there be any obscenity, uh, foolish talk, or vulgar wit, or dirty jokes or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. And then he gives the reason why this kind of language should not be a part of a Christian's vocabulary. Why didn't Paul there say, in other words, don't take the Lord's name in vain? But he says nothing about the Lord's name. He simply says that this is not appropriate for someone who is part of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Christ. So where does that leave us? Well, it leaves us with a fresh opportunity to ask and answer the question, what does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? And in fact, the Bible answers the question for us already. And I think it would be helpful first to define our terms. Let's define our terms and go from there. So saddle up right for a minute and let's ask, okay, God's name. We're going to take God's name in vain. What's God's name? Is it God? 
Well, no. God is not God's name. God is what he is. He is God. In the same way that you, you have a name, but people don't call you human being. They don't come up to you and say, hey, human being. They call you by your name, your given name, either your last name or a nickname or your first name. When I was growing up, I had all sorts of nicknames people were throwing at me because I was raised as a redhead in South America on the mission field. My skin was white. My hair was red. They used to call me Tomato Head. Uh, tomate, Tomate. And that was uh, one way of ridiculing my bright red hair and uh, the hair of my, my brothers. So taking the Lord's name in vain has, not, has nothing to do with the word God or God damn this or God damn that. God has a name, but it's not God. So what's God's name? Again, we don't have to go very far because the scripture tells us that God identifies himself with a name. Let me uh, bring you back to that scene. It's in Exodus 3. And Moses encounters this phenomenon called the burning bush. Now, the bush is part of the unifying theme of Scripture begun in Genesis chapter 2 regarding the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the tree of life is associated with God and with eternal life. And so the burning bush is one of those points in the journey through Scripture that reminds us of the tree and the tree of life. And here is God with this bush that does not get consumed in the fire. And God addresses Moses and tells him that he wants him to go to Egypt and be the one to deliver the people from slavery. Now Moses is concerned about this. He doesn't feel adequate to the task. And so he says, well, who should I tell them sent me? And he says, tell them that I am sent you. What's his name? My name is I am who I am. That's quite a name. I am who I am. And it goes on to say, in a verse later, that the name that he would be known by for generations to come is the name the Lord, or in Hebrew, as we think it is pronounced, the word Yahweh. Four consonants, no vowels. And we've tried to come up with a way to pronounce those four consonants, uh, like Yahweh. But in any case, God's name is Yahweh. But of course, we're not done yet. As we... Uh, travel throughout scripture in a progressive way, we discover that God self-identifies himself, so to speak, in the New Testament. We have the name of Jesus, and then we have the name in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, go therefore and um, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name, singular, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God identifies himself with a new name. My name is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. So God does have a name, but it's not God. Now let's move on and define another word. If God has a name, the scripture says that we are not to take that name. Now, we think that that's somehow related to our language, something we say. Somehow we take God's name and we misuse it, as the NIV translation puts it. Don't misuse God's name. And that's confusing. What does it mean to misuse your name? What does it mean to misuse anybody's name? Well, we don't have to be discouraged about trying to find the meaning of what does it mean to take the name because the Pentateuch itself, the Pentateuch itself gives us an illustration of someone taking a name. 
Uh, let me remind you of a couple of passages in the book of Exodus. Exodus, we are told that the high priest <clears throat> is to put on garments before he enters the most holy place, Exodus chapter 28. And as he makes his way into the most holy place, or it's known by another phrase, the holy of holies, God's very presence there with cherubim guarding the ark, overshadowed by cherubim, overshadowing the mercy seat, the Aaronic high priest is to carry the names of the Israelites on his shoulders and on his chest. On each shoulder is a stone representing six of the tribes, and on his breastplate are 12 different precious stones representing each name, each tribe of Israel. And so as he enters the holy place, he has the names of Israel on his chest and the names of Israel, the tribes of Israel, on his shoulders. And what does he do? The text says that he is to take their names into God's presence. There's the same verb, nasheh, as in Exodus chapter 20. Don't take God's name, which is, as we understand it, Yahweh, in vain. So you can see immediately that this has nothing to do with language or swear words or profanity. Those things, of course, are dealt with very clearly in Ephesians 5, verse 4. But the Lord is talking about something very differently when he talks to us about, don't take my name in vain. Finally, let's define the word vain. The high priest took the name of Israel, the names of Israel, into the holy place. What would, what would be a circumstance where he would take those names into God's presence in vain? How would he do that? How would he take the names of the tribe of Judah or Benjamin or Issachar in vain? Well, vain is the word for empty, worthless, of no value. So, as an illustration, if the Aaronic high priest took the names of Israel's tribes on his chest and on his shoulder into God's holy place in a vain way, it would be perhaps him not preparing himself adequately going through the rituals necessary for the high priest to go into the holy place. His work in the holy place on the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16, would be in vain. It would be worthless if he didn't follow the necessary procedures that a high priest had to take. For example, he needed to completely wash his body. He needed to completely take off the old street clothes, so to speak, and put on this high priestly garment that God had specified for him. And so his work in the Holy of Holies would be what? As he tries to atone for the sins of Israel, his work would be what? In vain. It would be empty. It would be worthless. And the sins of Israel for that year would not be forgiven. Now that's for that day. What about today? How would I take God's name in vain today? Well, let's, let's think of some things that happen every day. On your way to work tomorrow morning, as you go to the office or the shop or the hospital or the school, 
where you work or teach or whatever it is that you do, if you have a bumper sticker on the back that somehow identifies you with Jesus, with Christ, with a Christian faith, and whatever that is, a sign of the fish or something else, and you're driving erratically, you're driving recklessly, or you're texting, or you're dr uh, driving under the influence of alcohol, you are taking the Lord's name in vain. You're saying, I'm a Christian, and yet I'm driving in such a way as to put other people's lives in danger. I am risking my passengers and the people in front of me and the people in, ba in back of me, I am risking their health and their safety and security by my reckless driving. And yet I have a bumper sticker on the back that says, in some way, I'm a Christian. You see how, fundamental, uh, how fundamentally that is taking the name of Christ, a Christian, and using it in an empty and worthless way. Now, something a little bit more touchy. Some years ago, a professor or some sort of a staff member at Penn State University was found out that he was sexually abusing uh, young boys, and he was associated with that university. And when it came out, of course, great shame came to anybody who was associated with the name of Penn State University. And so that man, who is now in prison, as I understand it, was taking the name of Penn State in vain. And everyone associated with that school was so embarrassed. And the name of the school was just dragged through the mud because a man on the staff of that school, in some way, athletics or what have you, associated that name with sexual abuse. That's taking the name in vain. So when you and I profess to be Christians, we profess to be Christians in front of our family, in front of our children, in front of our workers, our employees, our boss, and then our behavior contradicts the message of Jesus. Our language, our, the way we speak to other, other people, the way we conduct ourselves at work or on the athletic field. If our conduct says that you're not a Christian, you are taking Jesus' name in vain. And so if parents, Christian parents, say to their children, don't fight and don't argue, and yet you yourself as a parent are guilty of that in front of them, you are taking God's name in vain. This is why it's part of the Ten Commandments. It's a serious offense. So it's not simply that I'm using swear words. <laughs> taking God's name is vain and taking God's holy name and I'm associated with evil. That's taking it in an empty, worthless way. So this takes the issue and widens the scope from simply talking to living. It broadens the parameters of where this happens. It happens on the road, the way you drive, the way you relate at school, the way you relate to other people at work. It's your whole lifestyle. It's how you spend your money. Yes, when God calls churches to be involved in working with the poor, and to look after the disadvantaged and the widows and the orphans, the disadvantaged people in the culture. And yet that church is spending money on building after building after building and parking lots and ignoring the needs of the poor. The leadership team of that church is taking Jesus' name in vain. That's a serious offense, but it's very, very common in the evangelical culture of North America that focuses so much on entertainment, and staging, amusing the sheep, rather than taking care of the goats, taking care of people who are marginalized 
and on the scenes of society. That is a message that goes against the name of Jesus. Churches take the name of the Lord in vain. It's very sobering. It's very serious. But on the other hand, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, and your conduct, as well as your language, either as a corporate church or as an individual or someone in your neighborhood, if your behavior matches your profession of faith, you're not taking the name of the Lord in vain. One other thought uh, that might be helpful, but that definitely is connected, is this. <clears throat> when Israel's people gathered for worship, as they departed, the Aaronic high priest would lift his hands over the people and pronounce the blessing from Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 <clears throat> and 25. In verse 27, book of Numbers chapter 6, the Lord says that when you do this, when the high priest lifts his hands and blesses the people, he puts the Lord's name on the people as they depart. Now, we do that in our congregation. And when the people leave, what are they carrying? They're carrying the Lord's name. They're taking the Lord's name. And here the commandment would be, now, as you take it, don't take it in vain. As you take the Lord's name out in your world, your workaday world, your family life, may what you do be congruent with the name of the Lord, the name of Jesus, our Savior. So there it is. Uh, what does it mean to carry or to take the Lord's name in vain? It's our lifestyle. <laughs> is it congruent with Jesus? the doctrine of Jesus, the doctrine of Scripture, or does it contradict? Something to think about. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us on this episode, and now we are getting ready to do the next one. We hope that you can join us. Thanks. Thank you for joining us this episode, and remember to send all your questions to questionsforpastortim at gmail.com.